Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Well, well, well. I'm surprised uh, we got a special guest today. I'm surprised we we haven't had you on any of our shows before. It's been a while that we've been doing this. Uh, got Officer Tatum, Brandon Tatum. I guess do you still is that still your uh, your social handle, Officer Tatum? Yeah, the Officer Tatum. I couldn't change it a long time ago, so I just left it. <laughs> yeah, I mean it could be Safety Tatum, right? Yeah, yeah. I like that one. Hard-hitting safety Tatum. That's what it should be. Like uh, Ronnie Lott, right? You didn't cut your fucking pinky off or anything, though, right? Oh, no, no, no. That dude. Do you guys remember Ronnie Lott? Cut his pinky off, the yeah. end of his pinky to stay in the season? That's weird. Yeah. That's weird. Like, I, I like sports, but come on, man. Take it easy. Um, <laughs> so, you're originally from uh, from Fort Worth. Where do you live now? I live in uh, Phoenix, Arizona. Phoenix. You like it out there? Yeah, I love it out here. I mean, I, I I don't plan on living anywhere else. So I, I think it's great. Weather, weather is beautiful most of the year, and then you go through hell during the summer, and it's back to being beautiful. Uh, now, you say most of the year. I've been there during this time of year. It's hot as fuck. No, oh, not right. now. I mean, well. <laughs> I was there last what- year in March for spring training uh, watch some, to watch some games, and it was pretty toasty. Yeah, it depends on what what uh, a person feel is hot you know mm. uh, 80 degrees maybe maybe low 90s is not that hot for a person that live in arizona yeah you know sure. when you get into the 117s mm. and you know that's when you feel like oh man it's too hot to be outside you know even though people still work and when i was on a football team in tucson Tucson's a little cooler than phoenix but when i was in tucson we practiced our summer practice was in the summer 10 a.m when it was hot as i don't know what so <laughs> Um, in Arizona, people get used to it. So when I say beautiful, I'd say beautiful is between 65 and 85 degrees. Um, and that's what it is most of the year. And then it starts to ramp up to, to the 90s, which is still good for me. Yeah, I like the I 90s. Think, I like the 90s. And then when they get in the hundreds, it's, it's, it's a little more stressful. Um, so let's let's do a bit of background here. Uh, you grew up in Fort Worth and then you played uh, football, right? Tell me, tell me about, tell me about how you got into that. Well, when I was younger, when I was a lot younger, maybe eight, nine, you know, I wanted to be a basketball player. I mm-hmm. wanted to be just like Michael Jordan. I mean, I, I just knew that's what my path would be. And then when I got older, man, I couldn't dribble with my left. Um, I fouled out of every game, so <laughs> I realized that I'm probably a football player. Mm-hmm. So in middle school, I started playing football, and you know, I hit some guy. I remember our uh, tryouts. They did a little kickoff simulation. I hit a guy, knocked his helmet off in eighth grade. And so from that point on, I had a good reputation on the football field, more so than basketball. So I just pursued bas- uh, pursued football. And kind of in the uh, footsteps of uh, your uncle, Jack Tatum, who's a kind of a legend at Ohio State, right? I mean, played the yeah. same position, too. Um, so, uh, <laughs> so, yeah, you played, uh, you played at Arizona? 
Yep, University of Arizona. Coming out of high school, I was an All-American football player, top player in the nation. Uh, I had a scholarship just about anywhere, and I ended up picking Arizona because Coach Stoops coached there. Mm. He was he was the former defensive coordinator at Uni- University of Oklahoma, mm-hmm. and they had a pretty solid program. So I said, you know what, I want to give it a chance. I think he has. He's going to turn the program around in Arizona, and I want to be a part of it. And I went there, man. My career went downhill from probably the second game of the season, <laughs> my freshman year. What happened? What do you think happened there? Uh, it was a combination of things. You know, my first year, I wasn't expecting to play. I had two really talented players in front of me. Uh, one was up for the Thorpe Award, mm. uh, Daryl Brooks. He was a safety. And the yeah. other was Layman Means. They both were freaking incredible players. And so it wasn't a big deal, but my attitude was bad. I wasn't used to coaching like Coach Stoops did because my high school coach was pretty, you know, he would yell at us, he would cuss and be crazy sometimes, but he loved us. We, we knew he cared. You know, he put his neck out there to be a white guy on an all in an all-black community coaching at a hood school, and we know he loved and cared about us. He'll fight for us. So him yelling at us wasn't that big of a deal. You know, we knew what it was. But when I got to college, man, it was on another level, man. They'll cuss you out, talk crazy until you get in your face, and – and me coming from the background I came from, it, it, it wasn't, I didn't take lightly to it, man. I wanted to fight him and, you know, I almost got in a fight with one of the coaches at our second game of the year. Uh, we played University of Purdue. And it just, I just got in a doghouse after that, man. The coaches didn't think I was coachable, which they were, they were correct at the, at the beginning. Uh, and then it never recovered from there. Yeah, it's interesting how that works. I mean, I, I don't know uh, how high school programs these days or, or or back then even really worked but um it does seem like the the best college coaches have a bit of an edge to them um and then that doesn't really translate into the nfl very well like uh nick saban didn't do very well in the nfl uh obviously we just saw um urban meyer have some issues trying to uh, it's it's different when you're talking to a grown man right yeah yeah, and, and it, it, it is different when you're recruiting, and it's a balance. You know, like, there's a balance between disrespecting somebody and, you know, holding them accountable. Like, mm-hmm. our, our strength and conditioning coach, he was he had the balance. He never cursed you out. He didn't even curse. But he would rip you a new one. He would be on you, but we knew he loved us. Stoops was just crazy. He was just a maniac. That's that's what he is. He would just cuss out the play. He would cuss out coaches. He'll cuss out people in front of their wives. Yeah. Which, I mean, that dude was off the hinge. Which Stoops is this? Uh, Mike Stoops. Okay. So you, where's Mike Stoops at right now? Okay. That, that, that should tell you yeah. um, that he was a nut job. But um, Bob Stoops seemed like he had a good balance. He's a legend at Oklahoma. Coach Mark Stoops, he was a little more balanced and nuanced. He's the coach at Kentucky, doing very well at Kentucky. Um, by all means, I think they probably had good intentions, but Coach Mike just he was off the chain, man. I, I mean, he was on the sideline like he was having a he was spazzing out, and people would laugh at him. It was a whole thing. He would spaz out on the sideline. Um, that's not just that, that's not conducive um for being a head coach. A position coach, yeah, you can rah-rah, get your defense going, but mm. when you're a head coach, you you have to have a nuanced balance. Yeah, you gotta set the tone for everybody, right? Like if you've got uh, super aggressive position coaches and then the head coach is also aggressive. That's not really going to work out, right? It's just con- like you, there's got to be, and this is something that we'll get into during the show today, but uh, there's got to be <clears throat> the, uh, even on the football field, there's the masculine and feminine energy. There's the, the, the tough guy leadership shit and there's the fucking empathy shit, right? That's, that's yeah. necessary for any, even down to that, the lowest possible level, which is a family unit. 
all the way up to a country or world, that dynamic exists in some form or another. And when people start messing around with that dynamic, things start to get weird, which is kind of what we're seeing now, to be honest. Things are getting a little out of control here. Yeah, out of control. Um, So once you uh, were done with football, you became a police officer in in Tucson. What what led you to uh, choose that? I know your dad was a firefighter, but what led led you to choose that? Yeah, so, you know, my my dad was a firefighter. He was a firefighter our whole life. I think he was a firefighter since he was 19 years old. He just retired, you know, and you know six years five years ago oh wow um but i mean i don't even think he retired five years ago he i think it may be three years ago so you know that didn't influence me to be a cop because police officers and firefighters are two different things you know what i'm saying so so i you know i got arrested when i was eight and that was my first exposure to police and it was pretty traumatic you know but for me it wasn't that traumatic because i grew up in an environment where you know watching people fight and do stuff like that wasn't Mm. wasn't shocking to me um but I didn't have a good perception of police and growing up in a black neighborhood, you're taught that they are racist white people trying to hurt you. You know, even though my dad wouldn't teach me that, but the peer, your, your peers and the environment that you're in um, is conducive for making you not like the police or having a negative perception because you don't know any police officers. And when I, in 2008, when I was in college and I got saved, um, that's when things changed for me. Like I was more open. I said, you know what? I, I, I'm willing to give everybody a fair shake. Um, treat everybody the way I want to be treated. And then if they go off the deep end, then I know who they are. Right. Um, so I never really wanted to be a cop. And and I was in the NFL draft in 2010. Uh, Oakland Raiders were going to draft me, uh, even though I didn't even play in college much. Uh, I was just such a talented athlete. They passed on me on draft day in, in front of my family. And I had a whole draft party. Um, and I tried that again the next year. NFL teams really wasn't feeling me. Um, semi-pro team offered me uh, to come to minicamp. It was like the Omaha Nighthawks. Mm. It was a little, the semi-pro team. They had the Vegas Lobos and, you know, it was a whole league. They pay good, but they offered me. And, and at the time, my son was small. You know, he I don't think he, he wasn't born yet or he was about to be born. I mean, he was, a, he was born a little baby or he was about to be born right around this time. And I was like, you know, I need to get a job, man. You know, I can't keep chasing football. And, I, and I'm not going to take all the credit for that. I had a guy who mentored me. Um, right towards the end of my football career, who was very successful financially, very great guy. And he told me, hey, put an X in your calendar for that football stuff. You know, once it's not yielding results, you need to transition to something different. And that's what I did. You know, I applied for the police department. The football program offered me, the police department offered me. And I said, you know, policing is probably a little more uh, of a stable environment for being a father. And, um, but you know, there was other things that were involved in it too. Like I did a ride along that blew me away too. And that really thrusted me into saying, this is what I want to do for a living. I want to be a police officer. Right. Uh, you know, do you think it's, I, I know there's a big divide between, um, police and fire, uh, especially <laughs> if you go watch them play in their softball leagues against each other, it gets pretty brutal oh, yeah. sometimes. A lot of shit gets talked there. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. <clears throat> but the, there is a common factor and that's service to the community, right? Oh, I mean, 100%. good, good leadership will always, uh, turn people back towards, uh, personal responsibility and, and serving the community, right? That, those are the two hallmarks in my opinion of just being a good human being in general. But, um, you're, you're, you've got this, uh, mentor that's, uh, you said was, uh, in, in the business community, it wasn't a police officer or anything. 
Yeah, no, nah, he, he was, uh, I think he owned a medical supply corporation um, that supplied medical supplies around the world. Mm. And so he was very wealthy. I mean, I I don't know what his net worth is, but yeah. I remember when, when I first met him, you know, he has a private jet. Um, you know, his daughter played volleyball with us, with my son's mom, my oldest son's mom would mm. play volleyball too at the University of Arizona. So mm. that's where we met. But his daughter also played there and she used to drive a Range Rover and fly on a private jet. So I'm like, he must have had a lot of money. Yeah. And and there was a the curtains. If you ever see the curtains in the McHale Center at the University of Arizona's mm. where they play volleyball, basketball, where they have all the stuff at, and there's curtains that come down for the women's sports <laughs> because you know they ain't filling out the arena. Right. Yeah, but yeah. there there needs to be a sound barrier. So these big curtains come down in the stadium and and close the stadium off they're they're soundproof and they make it feel intimate for the teams that doesn't fill it up and he bought those for the university as a gift so uh in my mind i said okay he must be making a lot of money and he did tell me at one point he said you know we were talking about football he said look man you know to be honest like football players they make a lot of money a lot of them are rich but they're not wealthy Right. Yeah. Said, unless you unless you are like Tom Brady or somebody, you ain't really making millions of dollars a year. Mm -hmm. And he was just telling me, he said, and, and, and what I do, I make more than they do every year for the rest of my life. Like yeah. they, they are they make a little money for a short period of time. Eighty percent of them go bankrupt. So don't put all of your energy into this because there is more to life. And there's more ways to be incredibly successful than just to play sports. So. Yeah, for sure. I mean, <clears throat> a lot of athletes are starting to learn that now. Equity is a lot more valuable than cash. Um, right. Uh, especially uh, uh, if you get in early. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean? There's been quite a few. Like Kevin Durant owns a lot of stuff in Silicon Valley. Um, a number of these guys, just like Tom Brady is one of them with TB12. And now this NFT thing he's got going, he's making more money than he'll have ever made in football. Yeah. Um, in a very short amount of time, actually. Um, so it's what, what year did you, did you become a police officer? 2008, nine, so 11, 11. Okay. So team, when I was in the draft and then a year later, mm, uh, that's right, I joined yeah. the Academy in, uh, 2011. Okay. So <clears throat> you're, you're a cop in 2011. I assume you're just on patrol for the first couple of years. Like you were a city police. Yeah. I was a municipal police officer. Uh, yeah. So straight, straight out the Academy. Mm. Uh, I was a patrol officer working midnight shift. And then I think two or three years into my career, I joined the SWAT team. I can't remember when I joined the SWAT team. I think it was maybe, maybe, maybe it was five years in my career. And how was it? How was it being a cop in, uh, in Tucson? I'm not really familiar uh, was, with Tucson. It was out of control. It was out of control. It was crazy, man. And, and people may not know, may not be familiar with Tucson because it's a little smaller, but it is ghetto. It's a mud, man. And, and it's so, it's a diverse kind of ghetto. Yeah. We have native, we have a community of just native people. Um, they are, and they don't even call the police. If stuff happened, they deal with it in their own community. It's like the hoods of LA, but it's like a little native community. And then we have, you know, a pockets of the black community. And then we have these white, the big portion of the white community that's out of control with trailer parks. Yeah, there's know, a lot of meth heads, heads out there. Yeah. I like meth heads on the way, because I worked West Side. So yeah. South Side was Hispanic. Mm. And black, and then you have, you know, the east side had its demographic. It was like older people on the east side, so it wasn't a lot of drama. Yeah. But west side, it was we had it all, man. We had the college was on our in our 
in our district too. So we had all these drunk college kids getting drunk and drunken and drinking and driving and raping and doing all this stuff. And then you have the meth heads, you know, the trailer parks, you know, you have a little bit of Hispanic gang and we had the village. We call it the village. We had the village in our district. So the West district was diverse and it was crazy, man. I'm talking, I mean, we were, ODs began, began to be a thing when I was a cop. Like if yeah. you do an OD, like, once a month, twice a month or something, you would probably get an OD call. I mean, people were ODing twice a day um, towards the end of my career with fentanyl and stuff like that. So Tucson was out of control. Per capita, Tucson is the most dangerous city in the state of Arizona per capita. Mm. Wow. Uh, not really surprised by that, though, to be honest. I mean, given given the uh, folks that live there, um, <clears throat> there are quite a few meth heads running around. Oh, yeah. uh, so <clears throat> you're on the force a couple of years. You join uh, SWAT. And uh, what, what's that like there? Are you guys doing, uh, I mean, what's the primary focus of SWAT in that area? You are uh, uh, just based on the, the, the type of crime that's happening around there. What are you doing? Drug busts and stuff or what? Yeah, most, most of it was drug bust, uh, no knock warrants. We'd be all of our, all of our raids were no knock. Um, most of them, I say it most of them, most of the ones I was on was no knock. Uh, so mostly drugs. We, you know, we would catch people with drugs, these dangerous criminals, fugitives um, who are, drugs guns violence you know people wanted for murder and mm. and you know all that nexus of all of that behavior that cocktail of behavior and we were hitting people everywhere you know we hit people at costco and we'll show up at, at houses and you know blow the doors off and all that fun stuff man right. it was it was incredible i was i was on the SWAT team for about a year before i left the police department mm. and and uh, I wish I would have spent more time. I wish I had more time on the SWAT team. It was it was really fun, man. We had the best SWAT team in the country. We had the most call outs in the state, just about. And, and Phoenix PD is three times our size. And we had probably just as many call outs as Phoenix PD. Uh, so we were a very busy SWAT team. Uh, it was fun, man. We had the coldest dudes in training. We trained with Delta Force sometimes uh, to, you know, and of course they were better than we were. But, you know, it, <laughs> yeah. it helped us uh, get our stuff up to speed, though. How do you feel about those no-knock warrants now? I'm not sure how I feel about that. I mean, I, I, certain instances where you know the person is armed or it's a hostage situation, there's not a whole lot you can do about that. Uh, if, if it's like a person with a violent record, I think it's probably a good idea. But we, we serve in this country quite a few no-knock warrants that seem like they're more out of convenience than tactical, like, uh, like some kind of strategic sense. You know what I mean? It's a lot easier. Like you said, snagging some dude at Costco is pretty fucking easy, to be honest. Because he's caught unaware, he doesn't have a shit. He, he doesn't know the landscape better than you, and all this other stuff. Yeah, so no knock warrants. I'm I'm in favor of no knock warrants. I think that's the best way to deal with warrants against violent people. You know, and and I think one of the missing misconceptions of no knock warrants is that people think like the police department just one day say, "I want a no knock warrant," and and they just decide to no knock somebody's house. Now it's a big, thorough process, man. In order for you to get a no knock warrant, you gotta have all kinds of evidence, and you have to present all this evidence to a judge that then grants you the no-knock exception. Mm. And, and a lot of times, even on police departments, if we have any level of confusion, we abandon a no-knock warrant, right? So if we go to a house and we like, you know, somebody went in the house and we have no idea who went in the house. We don't know if there's children there. We abandon the no-knock warrant. If we somehow are going up to do a no-knock and we feel like we, we've been identified, meaning they have cameras and we kind of yeah. hear movement going on and, and, it's, and it's something that makes us feel like that they are more prepared than we expect them to be, we abandon a no-knock warrant because it's not safe for us. But in most cases, they have no idea what's going to happen. They don't know what's going to happen. We have these vehicles that nobody can identify. Uh, one of our vehicles looked like a, a, a minivan with a uh, with a uh, 
it's got like soccer mom or something. It looked yeah. like a regular minivan or something that a person would drive and we jump out on you. So, um, you know, but it's, it's a lot safer than what they make it seem like, man. You know, people, they don't know knock. I mean, I know that it, it may have happened out of the hundreds of thousands of no knock warrants that probably exist. There probably is one or two that people got the wrong address or they got bad information. But more than likely, if we know knock in your house, you are a, a dangerous criminal that are our, our undercovers and uh, people have sold to you. We, we have people on the inside. Right. All of our no knocks were because our informants were like, yeah, and we got them on wire and, mm. and we hear we hear the interactions and we, we have all of this evidence that we present to a judge. And uh, we in Tucson, we've never had any problems. We knock everybody in. And, yeah, you know, it's always what it is. It's in, I mean, sometimes. Yeah, go ahead. It's interesting. You mentioned the um, <clears throat> some of the uh, uh, dynamics that happen when uh, to get the warrant and then to uh, serve it as well. We had uh, John Mattingly on recently uh, talking about the Breonna Taylor raid. And he said, in retrospect, they probably shouldn't have no knocked it because there's, you know, uh, even though she was part of the investigation, like having her there also instead of just him complicated the issue too much. You know what I mean? Like, uh, I I think that's probably true. Like if you common sense would tell you that if you had a no knock warrant and then you all of a sudden discovered that it was that the family member was there. Probably not a good idea to serve that warrant there because for a number of reasons, one crossfire, but also <clears throat> just the animal instinct to protect your family and shit like that. It elevates the situation a little bit and it's, yeah. you know, easy enough to wait outside the dude's house and crack him in the back of the head when he walks out. Uh, in yeah, some there, cases. And, and yeah, in, in that case was with Sergeant Manley. I mean, they were in a pickle, man, because yeah, they got a no knock exception for all of these different residences. You know what I'm saying? Like five and, different and they, places, I think. Yeah. yeah. And because they were trying to figure out where Jamarcus Glover was going to be, because he's the dangerous person. And they had to have an exception for every place that if they caught him at one, they need to be able to hit it without right. um, knocking. And when they got to Brianna Taylor, they got caught in the middle because they're knocking, but, you know, it's not, a, they're not going to do a no knock. Yeah. So they, they decide to knock. But then it's complicated because now somebody else is there. And when they mm. breach the door like they should have, now they got another person in there that they weren't expecting to have in there. But, you know, I know they, would, they weren't going to no-knock that house. But if they would have done a no-knock on her house, she'd still be alive. I, I agree with that. Yeah, I think uh, <clears throat> one of the things we started to do in the, uh, when I was in the 82nd Airborne was uh, tactical call-outs instead, of, uh, instead yeah. of just kicking the door down. It doesn't always work. I would say... 70% of the time, the shithead stays inside and tries to fight. But yeah. 30, that's 30% of gunfights that I don't have to get in now. You know what yeah. I mean? Which is, uh, that's good for, for us, obviously, safety-wise, but it's also good to be able to take people into custody and get more intelligence and stuff like that. I mean, I, I just don't think, <clears throat> I don't pay too much attention to people who have never been in these situations, armchair <laughs> quarterbacking, you know? Well, you should have done this. Like, dude, you haven't been shot at, so shut the fuck up. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, yeah, it is, it's interesting to discuss the tactics though. And it's, <clears throat> to me, ultimately that's what it comes down to. What's the safest way to extract this person out of the community because they're a danger yeah, to the community and, and right? preserve evidence too. Yeah. Like I think that, you know, in, in other, you know, maybe in the military, you, you may have another agenda. Like for us, you know, these people are sitting on a bunch of dope mm. and they're sitting on a bunch of stolen guns and stuff like that. And if we, the speed of surprise, we can get them safely. Um, without them destroying evidence because if you know you call out like two two scenarios that i 
I point out that people who who have never done anything tactical, they have no mm. idea what they're talking about. <clears throat> yeah. Um, and I know people in the gun community that they ain't never been a cop or nothing, but yeah. they like guns, so they get they have a comment, you know, and I think it's ridiculous. But like we did two warrants, you know, a guy had a bunch of dope, he had a mm. bunch of guns, he had a bunch of evidence that was in, involved in a murder, and we got him without him destroying any of the evidence. If we would have called and announced him, he would have flushed all the drugs. He would have did, you know, he would have destroyed some of the evidence because he knew what, what he was facing. Yeah. These, these criminals aren't dumb. Yeah. Um, another one was a pedophile. He was the number two ranked uh, porn share in the country. I think he was either in the country or he was the top in Arizona. And we I assisted the FBI uh, SWAT in getting this guy. But you, you think you're going to call and announce on that guy? Yeah. All he's going to do is delete all the porn off his computer and right. destroy it. Mm -hmm. And while you out there saying, sir, please, the police, uh, you know, come to the door. He's destroying porn. And so what we did was, you know, they I just held containment because, you know, we don't mix with with the federal SWAT team. You're just in the cord cordon outside the, the house. I'm, I'm out in the street blocking yeah, yeah. the road for them uh, while they do the hits because we, we have different protocol. We don't mix SWAT teams. Um, they threw eight flashbangs in, in that dude's <laughs> house. Shit. We only do one or two. So they threw eight of them. <laughs> And they had a whole team of guys, you know, they breached the door and they had a guy to go straight for the computer and hit the codes on the computer to lock it. Mm. So the guy couldn't delete the porn. So, you know, people may think, oh, you should know not. But it's like, you know, in some cases we it's invaluable or we can't catch anybody. If we had to announce every porn guy, he would just delete it and you'll get the court and your kids will never get justice for him having your kids on his computer yeah i mean frankly i'd be fine with you throwing an actual grenade into that room uh, oh yeah I, I i really feel like we've got a we've got a there, there's this battle going on right now where <clears throat> leftists in my opinion are trying to groom children um, oh yeah 100 percent. uh and conservatives have been <clears throat> a little asleep at the wheel to be honest like when uh the the confirmation of uh uh, Kentaji Brown Jackson's going on right now, and it's what we discover from that is that she has been extremely lax on on sentencing pedophiles. Now, the the suit that that's bad news. The worst news is that that is common practice. It's not just con, uh, 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 democratically nominated uh, uh, judges or Republican nominated judges. It's all of these judges are are taking it super easy on literal pedophiles. And that's something that I just can't understand. It doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah, it's this push to um, wussify our system and and feel more compassion for the suspects and not the victim. I mean, we just get softer and softer, like even a death penalty. You know, we oh, we just done away with the death penalty in most of these places. And it's like, no, some people need to get put to death. You don't need to sit on taxpayer dollar and spend the rest of your, your life getting a good meal every day and somewhere to sleep. You need to you need to be put to death. If yeah. That's what is that's what you if that's what it's calling for. But we just we just I mean, they find ways now to to coddle criminals. If you if you are sharing child pornography, you are you are interjecting yourself into the industry. You're creating a demand. You are the reason why most of these kids get kidnapped and forced in the, in the, in the sex trafficking. So you, you are very much responsible. And and it's and it's not easy to to get child pornography. I, I guarantee you can't just type it on a computer. Yeah. You have to go to the dark web, and yeah. you you have to have so much culpability in extracting materials like that that you are just as responsible. Yeah, if it was and a conspiracy, put you away forever. If it was a conspiracy case, uh, or with any criminal case, there's an implicit act, right? There's some actual action that was taken outside of just thinking about doing it. That right. that 
is required. I mean, if you stumble into a room full of dope and the cops show up, you're like, hey, this isn't mine. Yeah. That, that's not what is happening here. These people are intentionally seeking out this stuff. And <clears throat> what we're hearing from uh, even, even in the Senate, actually, um, and uh, <clears throat> in the Congress as well, what we're hearing from these people are, well, it's so easy uh, to get a large number of individual videos or images now that we shouldn't be charging people for each one of them. Like, what the fuck? Why are we making any kind of rule that, yeah. get, that takes it easier on people who victimize children? You know what I mean? That right. is like these people should be executed immediately. As soon as we find out and can establish that they've done this, whatever it is, whether it's watching child pornography, making it or touching a kid or anything like that, kill them immediately. That's my opinion. Anyways. <laughs> yeah. I, hey, I wouldn't I wouldn't be opposed to it, to be honest. You know, hey, you can deal with the Lord on the other side. But in this life, there's consequences <laughs> for your actions. And that's like saying, hey, cars are faster now. So you can you can the speed limit, you know. You know, so you should be able to violate the speed limit over 100 miles per hour. No, that don't make sense. <laughs> the, the Carvette is faster than, you know, the, f- the first Ford that they made. Yeah. These cars are quicker. They're faster. They hug the road. They have technology, all-wheel drive. Oh, they, they, since they're better equipped, you can, you know, that's stupid. You know, no, you, you, the speed is speed. You know, you're going over the speed limit. You're putting people's lives in danger. They don't, I mean, to be honest, they don't coddle that. They don't change that perspective, you know. Um, because it's, it's a clear easy. and obvious danger to the community. But the, right. the question is, why don't you see victimizing children as also a clear and obvious right. danger to the community? One that, by the way, precipitates itself throughout the generation after. You know what I mean? Like you're, yeah. cre- you're creating new violators every time you fucking rape one of these kids. Yeah, and, these kid, and these kids are damaged forever. Yeah. I mean, you know, you got some guy grooming them and then they have sex with a, a, a little young kid. And, and they, they're destroyed forever over that. You don't recover. And I, and I almost feel like that these people should go to prison at least until the victim decides when they get out. If the victim mm. feels, hey, I'm healed, I forgive you, you can be out, or whatever the case may be, maybe we can consider that mm. in releasing them. Now, maybe that's not the totality because, you know, you got wonky people out here that yeah. they care more about the suspects. So, But if, you know, the person say, nah, I, I, I want them in there for the rest of their life, like that should have a, a tremendous impact. Now, I know they have impact statements and sentencing, but, you know, like Katanji Brown, you know, she... They refer to this and she's going well beyond or well lower than what the recommended, not what the height yeah. or the highest sentence you could do. The recommended sentence from the prosecutor, she's well below that. Yeah. And when you ask her, you know, she gives some bogus excuse. And and it's because let me tell you this. It's because I don't know if it's a spirit or is it just the evilness of man? I don't know what it is. It's going one step to another and, and, and pedophilia is one of the steps that they're trying to get to mm. or inevitably mm. will get to it started from homosexuality was a mental illness in the 70s it was considered a mental illness i still think it's a mental uh, illness to for your mind to think you want to be with another man it's, it don't mean you're an evil person it just means something going on in your mind transgenderism is a mental illness is gender dysphoria that's a mental illness and what happens is they are making acceptance and grooming and, and, and moving the goalposts all the way to the right. And now people get to say, I was born this way. And when you do that with no real, in, in my opinion, no real solid scientific evidence, now pedophiles are saying, I was born this way. And they begin to decriminalize pedophilia. And then before you know it, you got them trying to teach kids about sex and binary and all this stuff in kindergarten. They're grooming these kids And then before you know it, pedophilia is going to be acceptable. And why can't 
you know, these guys, there's, there's, there's a, a company called Man Boy Love, like an organization, Man Boy yeah, Love. Yeah, like, North American Man Boy Love Association. Yeah. That's what it's called. Bro, that, that exists. That yeah. should be a terrorist organization. You, it ain't mm-hmm. no such thing, you know, Man Boy Love. You, you, that's pedophilia. Yeah. And they are, they, somebody came online the other day and they had a, a phrase for like uh, children, like, you know, like children attraction. Or it's something MAP, like that. Uh, minor attracted person. There that's what go. they're saying. There you go. Yeah. See? See? And, 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 and it, it starts at a point where we say, oh, that'll never happen. Mm-hmm. No, now they got terms for it. Now they have legitimate organizations for it. And before you know it, they're going to be interjecting this stuff into the schools. And, 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 and it's going to start at 16. They're going to say, oh, it's okay if an adult with a 16-year-old, if they consent. And it's going to go to 14, mm-hmm. 13, teens. And then it's going to go to prepubescent. I, I, and, we, and now it may never be accepted as widely as homosexuality, but they're going to start decriminalizing these things and people are going to be in, in, involved in these acts and they're not going to go to jail over it anymore. They're just going to get counseling and go to a retreat somewhere and get four, three hots in a cot and relax until they back in the streets, you know, abusing other kids. You know, they're going to start blaming the victims. I just see it happening in the next 30 years in our country, maybe even sooner. Uh, yeah, the transgenderism stuff is weird. I mean, that's certainly uh, a mental disorder. I, I don't think it's really, uh, I don't think there's any scientific basis to say that, that homosexuality is. There's, there's plenty of evidence that suggests people are born gay. I mean, if you, uh, Deborah So is an author uh, from Canada, actually. She does, she does a lot of good research on this stuff uh, about the exposure to gametes in the wound and how that affects things. I, I think uh, calling... Uh, I, I know you're not saying that they're evil people, but th- that's just not accurate. What you just said. Yeah. And even if it's, even if it's not, you know, I would, <clears throat> I would acquiesce to what you're saying, but in, in, in the self same regard, it's still a mental, something is going on in your mind mentally. Um, there's no way that you could reproduce or no way that the human race could evolve. If mm. that was a continuation of action, meaning that people cannot reproduce man with man, woman with woman yeah, yeah. Therefore, I mean, genetically that gene should, should have died off through evolution. Uh, evolution. Well, However, maybe it's trying to by doing that. Yeah. Right. Who knows? Right. I mean, that that's, it's happened in other species before where, uh, uh, selective traits have led to extinction. That's not, that's nothing new. Man, right. It could just be a natural form of population control as well, which it could, I, it could be, but it's still, a cho- in my mind, it's still a choice. I mean, you're still choosing to say, uh, because I'm attracted to something, I'm going to pursue it. I mean, you don't have to. And I'm telling you, these pedophiles will say the same thing. I don't know. I'm born this way. I, I have this attraction to kids and I can't control it. And they may, and it may be something going on in the mind, just like other things. And just because you feel a certain way, don't mean you have to live like that. Now, if you want to, you live in America, you do whatever you want to. Mm. I, could, I couldn't care less. You're not paying my bills. You can, you can be with five dudes and you'll be a man if you want to. That, well, as I, long I, as everybody's a fucking adult, right? I mean, yeah, I mean, as long as you're consenting to it, I yeah. mean, it ain't got nothing to do with me. However, don't people should make the excuse of, well, I can't control it. Um, I, 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 I have no choice. This is what I, I have to be this way. No, that's not true. You know, you know how many uh, beautiful women in the world? Do I have to smash all of them? No, you right. don't. Well, I Especially mean, could, if you're a married could, man, could you anyway. choose? Could you choose to be gay? Could I choose to? Yeah. I mean, I guess you could. Well, I'm I mean, not, no, I mean, you I, specifically. I got person me specifically. Yeah. I think you could. I mean, I'm not attracted to men, so I mean, <laughs> right. But but, but that, maybe if I was raped, or maybe if, no, no. I'm I'm saying like, could you make the lifestyle choice to uh, spend your to have your significant other be another dude? If I wanted to, I could. 
and that would make you what happy i mean that me? would that would that would suck right you saying if i if <clears throat> me being a straight man if i could i have that decision to make right because you're yeah, saying I, that gay people I, yeah. people that are that are born maybe attracted to the same sex they could choose to not you know act on that but isn't, yeah, yeah. isn't the same true for you you could choose to not do what you do right yeah, hundred percent. I could choose to not be married to a woman and be single. I could. Yeah, but you, I, I mean, no, I'm not talking about being single. I'm talking about could you choose to be in a long term relationship with another man? Because that's kind of what you're asking gay people to do. If you're, if not, not, not I'm not saying you're asking them, but I'm saying that's yeah, kind yeah. of, the, you know what I mean? No, no, I, I, I see, I see your point there. Mm-hmm. I'm only saying for people that that say they have no choice. Like you have a choice. Like for instance, if you married to a woman and she's fat and sloppy and nasty, <clears> and you're not attracted to her anymore. Um, what are you gonna do? Well, it's, I mean, it's different being attracted to not being attracted to one specific woman and not being attracted to any woman. Right. Right. I mean, to a certain degree. Right. I mean, men aren't attracted to every man that's gay. Right. I mean, I would assume. I don't know. Dudes are fucking scumbags. (laughs) Well, I'm not what I'm saying. I mean, I'm saying like men will will have sex with just about any woman on the spectrum, generally speaking. Straight men. Gay men are pretty picky. That's true. Right. So if you if a gay man is out there, I mean, he probably don't like every man either. You know, he, he probably like athletic men or right. feminine men. You, you mm. see the guys that are gay, they got a the dude that's like a girl. Yeah. And so there's a spectrum <clears throat> of attraction, I think, that happened on both sides. And, you know, like it, it just depends. You know, I can't say too much because I'm not gay. I don't know mm. what they experience. But what I will say is that there are decisions that people have to make, um, even individuals uh, who are priests. And they say, hey, I'm going to be celibate. You know, do they want to? Is that they can make that decision if they want to. Um, and just like people in homosexual lifestyle and you live in America, you want to be gay then be gay. You can do whatever you want to do. But if you want to not be gay, you can pursue not being gay. I know I know plenty of people that struggle with it, been gay in the past, and they, they don't live that lifestyle anymore. Now, I'm not saying that's everybody, but I'm, I think that if you want to, you could pursue that and it could happen, you know. Um, you know, I, yeah, it's a nuanced conversation because I had this conversation with some of my guys in the cigar lounge and we just go back and forth and it got very interesting because, mm. you know, like I said, you live in America, you good. You live in other places. What are you going to do? You yeah, know? well, I mean, you just uh, the U.S. government continues to do business with countries that criminalize behavior like that. And when I say criminalize, I mean throw gay people off a of fucking rooftop, rooftops and shit. You know what I mean? Right. But to, but see, if, if gay is, well, what's the difference between gay and transgender? I think that I, I met a guy. I met a. I was on a panel with some trans men, women who turn into men, and you, it's no way in the world you could tell they were women. These dudes got beards and everything, <laughs> and just being around them, man, it's like, dang, dude, like you went through all that. You must really believe this. Mm. Like this must not be something that is easy for you to choose. You must really believe this. And, you know, I think it's weird. I don't care if they do it because it's America. But if you ask me, do with, with my son said, daddy, I think I'm a girl. Like, am I going to just, Oh yeah, sure. Let me dress you up real quick. It's like, nah, well, you, you need to get some help. <laughs> well, I mean, it's, that's different though. I mean, being, uh, uh, same sex attracted and being attracted to children or thinking that you're in the trapped in the wrong body. Those aren't, those, those are pretty, that's a pretty wide gap between those two things. Right. I mean, you know, one, one is like, you don't, you're, you, that, that, that's a literal mental disorder. Your brain doesn't match what your fucking body does. 
Uh, well, yeah, I feel like the same thing with men too. I mean, but your brain must not be matching what your body is because your body should not be attracted to another man. You know, it just that's the way na nature is. Like something has gone wrong in the genes or whatever you want to say. Something has gone wrong. Just like if you're in a body and you're like, I'm a girl in real life. Something has happened to you um, in your mind. And, you know, we may we may agree to disagree, but. Yeah, that's how I feel about it. Okay, well, that was fun. Let's uh, talk about, so you're uh, one of the leaders of Blexit, which is Black Exit, which I believe was based on the Brexit uh, uh, yeah. thing, like uh, getting England out of uh, the EU and shit. <clears throat> so talk about how that came to be. And what, yeah, and what so it means, explain it for the audience as well, because I'm not, there, there's, there's quite a large contingent of black conservatives in America now, uh, more so than probably ever before, especially outspoken ones. And I think it's, uh, a very interesting dynamic. So explain how that all came to be. Yeah. So I'll start from the beginning in 2017. Uh, when I left the police department, I was working for a conservative uh, organization and I met Candace Owens. Uh, she just hit me up on Twitter like, hey, we should do we should collab and do some uh, stuff together. And I'm like, cool. We met each other and then we hit it off, man. We, we became really good friends. And in 2018, we started Blexit <clears throat> together. I mean, it was mostly her idea. You know, I, I'm just a supportive role of, of trying to help make it come to fruition. Mm. But she had the idea to, that it's time that black people wake up to truth. It's not even about a political thing. It's like wake up to reality. Mm -hmm. What are the values that we that we want in our lives? Most black people are conservative. What do you want and, and, and how do you get there and how do you, you know, cut through the mesh or, or cut through the smoke and get to the reality? Why are you voting the way you do if that's not what you believe? You know, why are you raising your family this way? And that's not what you really believe. That's not what's conducive for growth and prosperity. So our, our, our goal is to just wake people up. You know, it's synonymous with black people leaving the plantation, right? The Democrat mm -hmm. plantation. But yeah, yeah. In, in actuality, it's not about politics specifically. It's, it's just about being the best version of yourself and taking care of your community. All right. Give me a second. Uh, I'm going to read some ads here. So we can continue doing this show. Uh, right now, GhostBed is offering 40% off GhostBed bundles where you get a mattress and an adjustable base. 30% off everything else when you use the code DRINKINGBROS at ghostbed.com forward slash DRINKINGBROS. Man, they got this uh, zero down, zero percent financing plan for up to 60 months now. It's, uh, they called it their uh, uh, St. Paddy's Day deal, but it's been going on for i guess several weeks now when, when is st patrick's day may or on march 17th is that right yeah so about three weeks now um <clears throat> you can get a, ba a bed for about 35 bucks a month uh the adjustable base mattress bundle is where it's at though uh you get a bed frame obviously it's an adjustable bit well it's not a frame actually it, it'll go inside of your bed frame that you have now i uh, just removed those dumb slats out of the way you get the mattress, you get the adjustable base and everything else you buy, weighted blankets, mattress protector, pillow sheets, all that shit. 40% off the entire thing. Uh, Dakota just bought a bunch the other day and got the deal. He said, I, I can't remember exactly how much money he said it saved him, but it was like uh, 800 bucks that he saved or something like that. I don't remember. It's a great deal. You know these guys. They've been with us for years now. Uh, mattresses are dope. <clears throat> he got the... Uh, the 3D Matrix, which is the new cooling uh, mattress. All their mattresses are cooling. So uh, that's awesome as well. But that one, the 3D Matrix is particularly good. So it's got a 20-year warranty. Uh, you can try it out for 101 nights for free. If you don't like it, send it back. No hard feelings. Um, 
they also, you know, have the best pillows in the world. I, I've said it recently. I know it's kind of, uh, I don't know, elitist of me maybe, but I'm traveling with my fucking ghost pillow now. So I can't sleep without it. Um, but go to, uh, go to ghostbed.com forward slash drinking bros. Use the code drinking bros. You're going to get 30% off everything. If you want that bundle, uh, just do the bundle. Go to ghostbed.com forward slash drinking bros. Assemble the bundle, put a mattress and an adjustable base in your cart and everything else in there. You're going to get 40% off. Uh, next up, <clears throat> we've got hard as fuck seltzer.com. It's actually hard AF seltzer.com. Um, we've sold quite a bit. We sold tens and tens of thousands of cans. Now we're getting, uh, we're getting weird with it, man. Lemon, lime, uh, blue, raspberry, peach, strawberry, shortcake, they're available now in 42 states. Uh, just go to the website. Go to hardafseltzer.com. Uh, put yourself a couple of cases in your cart. Have it shipped out to your house and black out uh, or do whatever you want. Drink responsibly. Is that what we're supposed to say legally? Yeah, they're, they're telling me to say drink responsibly. So go to hardafseltzer, hardafseltzer.com and get them deals. All right, let's get back to it. Yeah, we've had... Uh, uh a lot of discussions about this over the last two years or so, I guess, since even before, um, <clears throat> even before, uh, the Floyd situation and about, uh, you know, I just trying to unpack everything and understand why the black community has been so captured by the democratic party for the last forever. Right. Despite their history of not being so great to black people. Uh, yeah. you know, it's, it's very bizarre to me. Uh, and, and, most of the people that I've talked to about it say that it's uh, more of a cultural thing uh, than it is an actual belief thing. Like you said, <clears throat> that uh, that uh, black people are pretty conservative. That's very true. Like conservative and not not necessarily politically conservative, but conservative in all the ways that you would define conservatism if Republicans and Democrats didn't exist. You know what I mean? Yeah, a hundred percent. Like if it was just conservative versus liberal, yeah, black people would vote for conservative party. You know, if it was that, yeah, it, it's a lot of mass manipulation. You got to think of people who were. It's it's almost like we were talking about kids who, uh, who get abused and then they they live with this PTSD mm -hmm. abused and they're vulnerable. Well, it's Stockholm that, syndrome, right? I mean, right, right. Yeah, you're you're captured by your captor basically mentally. Yeah, captured and I think by that's what I think that's what kind of happened to the black community to a certain degree. I think with slavery and all of that, man, you you got a you got a, a a group of people who have been abused and they're vulnerable. They don't know who to trust, you know, different things like that. So when they get out of slavery, and now there's lynching and there's racism, and it's generationally passed down. So although things got better, the hurt got passed down from generation to generation. While my grandmother is still alive, and she went through, you know, the Jim Crow South. Mm -hmm. She's still passing that down and we are leaps and bounds, of, you know, beyond that. So I think that right. what happened is the hurt began to be manipulated by people in power. Mm. Black people were conservatives and Republicans when politics first began. Well, abolitionists think, were primarily on the on the conservative side. Right. In the late 19th right, uh, century. So 100 percent in the first uh, Republicans were black. Yeah. I mean, you no, know, the first <clears throat> black politicians yeah. were Republicans. Yeah. And so, you know, over time, it, they, they've been able to master manipulate, right? I mean, they, they made it go water sound like a racist mm. and they pushed the tide in a different direction and they used Martin Luther King and 
all of these different things that they stroke the emotions of black people and gave welfare and you know and and they became the like you said kind of like a stockholm syndrome but the, but black people didn't know because they felt like you guys are going to save us but right. they didn't know that you guys are the one that's put us in this position in the first place yeah. and you keep putting us in a position that you have to be the savior of you know, you talk about the uh, 94 crime bill. Mm. That was Democrats that forced that. Mm. You're talking about Jim Crow laws. Democrats, I mean, Republicans unanimously voted against Jim Crow laws and Democrats didn't. So, you know, Democrats wanted black people to be in Jim Crow South, but yet they push it as if we we want to rescue you from that. They want to put y'all back in chains. No, it's, it's the Democrats that had y'all in chains. So it's this mass manipulation through, through media, through... Um, you know, and when people are so stupid and then you have a generation of black people who are stupid that become prominent, they influence the culture to be even stupider. Because if you look at um, somebody like LeBron James, mm. I mean, he, he, people love him. They listen to what he say. Well, he we don't have to listen until next year now because he just got his ass bounced out of the playoffs. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, he ain't going to say nothing in all no, season. He's, he's, he's in playoff mode now, right? On Instagram. Isn't yeah. that what he says? He's on. He's in playoff mode. Maybe he'll stay until the the end of the finals yeah, that, at least. but but he has influence he has a great <clears throat> reputation he's an incredible inspiring person uh in his in his sports life uh, and then when he says something people listen uh just like colin kaepernick was colin kaepernick is a black quarterback and all this sort of stuff and he he had the ears of people but when you're when you're people who are prominent who are successful are dumb you just perpetuate dumb people and, and dumb information out there to the public yeah i think the tide is changing though uh, with people like me and candace and a whole bunch mm -hmm. of other people that are standing up Hershey yeah, walker is running for uh yeah. senate and royce Georgia. white uh, I'm, I'm sure if, uh, are you familiar with royce white somebody just <clears throat> sent me a text that royce is running against Elon omar yes yeah he's a yes. former uh nba player plays i think still plays in big three here and there i don't know if he's doing it this year because he's running for office but he's uh <clears throat> He's uh, as close to being black pilled as anybody I've ever seen run for office. I mean, he I, I really feel like he's got a good head on his shoulders. And for him, it's about and I think it, this goes to your point. Um, we've relied far too long, not just the black community or even America, just humanity in general on figureheads to tell us what to think. You know what right. I mean? Like we don't yeah. have <clears throat> we don't have the time to have conversations with people and do research and figure out stuff so it's imperative that there are guiding principles in life you know what i mean mm -hmm. that we can all agree on like keep each other safe whatever yep. there's there's a there's an obvious list that almost all human beings would agree on and <clears throat> from there have conversations royce the only campaign appearances that royce white does are town hall meetings that's all he does like he right. shows up and has conversations with a room full of people because and it's a two-way conversation too like I, i've seen him learn things in real time and i think that's a super important thing that's <clears throat> when <clears throat> and it's it's happening a lot uh luckily we're in the digital age so conservative media is kind of stepping up and providing some s solutions to this but it happened for a good period during uh the trump administration where <clears throat> a very large portion of the population had completely lost faith in anybody that was telling them anything. You know what yeah. I mean? They were like, this is bullshit. What you're saying is obviously bullshit. I'm not going to listen to anything else. And that's something that I don't think, like I grew up in a black neighborhood. I know their feelings towards certain things because I just grew up uh, in that situation. And there's an, there's an institutional distrust 
of anybody outside of your fucking family group or friend group. You know what I mean? Right. Like, I don't know right. that guy. Why the fuck should I listen to what they're saying? <clears throat> and that's why <sighs> institutions like that are so important, but it's also why two-way conversations are so important. You know what I mean? Good ideas yeah. or bad ideas don't get solved by censorship. They get solved with good ideas. Like, we have this idea. We have a, 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 a hypothesis of what reality is, and then we run some te- we, we run some tests on that to see if it's real, and then we change our hypothesis and run some more tests. We've been doing that since Socrates, like a gajillion years ago. It's this scientific method. But we've yeah, lost but- it. Like, the media doesn't do this shit anymore. They don't fucking ask hard questions of people in leadership no. positions. They try to get sound bites, or they just parrot whatever the fucking leaders are saying like that is not what a media is supposed to do right because they don't want good ideas that's not the point they, they don't they don't want us to change they want their narrative to be pushed so oh, yeah. they don't want they don't want things to get better because then they become irrelevant yeah when, when people start uh being able to function on their own they realize the, the 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 least they need the government and the government can't have that they they need you to think that the politicians are the people are the only people in control no these fools work for us we put them in position to represent us. They don't run us. They yeah. don't. They, they don't bully us. They represent what we want. Their constituents. Yeah. It's so and, weird when people like. Uh, first of all, I think being a fan of a politician is like being a fan of a referee. That's weird to right. me. That anybody would right. be a fan of a fucking politician, whether it's Trump or anybody else. I don't care about that yeah. shit. But it's when when politicians do or say dumb shit, and people are like, "Man, can you believe they said that?" Like, yeah, it's just an it's just a person. They're just a yeah. person. They're not like a fucking. The, the, we're not. We're not exactly recruiting our best and brightest to go run for office, no. here, are we? No. I mean, most, come on. Most man. of the, most of the, I think the best and brightest. And I'm not saying there aren't people in politics that are extremely uh, intelligent and, and some of the best. But most of the time, you know, the best and brightest are out here working and, and building and mm-hmm. growing stuff, and and they're they're influencing the world in other ways. They're not sitting there being one vote. But it's necessary that we have people in power that are intelligent. But we need to get it get the get the record straight you know like these politicians don't run us the president of the united states is the commander-in-chief but we elect him to be there Mm -hmm. and we can remove him according to our system if he's not doing what he's supposed to do he do something criminal we can not vote for him again or we can get him impeached um and our and our, our the people who represent us represent our voice in impeachment nowadays it's like no I put you in office. You're a Democrat. These are Democrats. We all roll together. No mm. matter what the people say. Yeah. They'll vote for Katanji Brown um, because she's a black woman. And in the people that that's in the district that you that you are uh, in, they say, no, nah, I don't want that woman. But it don't matter because now I'm in a position of power. You can't tell me what to do. I'm just going to write the legislation. I can. I got two years to do it or, or six years to do mm. it. And what are you going to do about it? Not vote for me again? You know, and and and. You know, that's kind of what it comes down to. But I'm hoping that with Trump opening the eyes of people and making you realize that all of these politicians, are I mean, many of them are frauds. Yeah. Many of these presidents are just shells. Brother, how does Trump, who's never been a politician, get in and do just about everything he said he was going to do? Yeah. If they weren't lying on him and pushing back on him, he would have done everything he said he's going to do in the first year. Right. You know? So it's like, wait a minute. Why didn't Bush do all this stuff? Oh, I know why. Well, it's too. Because- Bush was too busy uh, starting wars all over the place and expanding the federal government at an historic rate. Uh, and, and why and why does he do that? Because of family legacy. Yeah. Because he needs you to get the next Bush in yeah. that will get the next Bush in. They can't resolve anything while they're in <clears> office <throat> because they need you to vote for them in the next term. Yeah. If if Obama does everything he's supposed to do in his first term, 
then why would you vote for him in the second term? To be honest, I mean, yeah. he don't, he's done everything. A person with new ideas will emerge. Yeah. But what they do is they breadcrumb you because they're like, oh, I got so much to do and, and there's so much more to do. And I'm going to do all these things if you elect me again. And then they elect him again. And then what? Clinton is an extension of Obama. And then uh, Biden is an extension of Clinton. Mm. And before you know it, they have set up 100, 200 years of power. And until Trump came and he, he made everybody realize that, oh, wait a minute, all these people are fraudulent. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? It's a pretty powerful thing to not give a shit what anybody else thinks about you, to be honest. I it, mean, it is. We, we tell people that in their personal life. Just be yourself and, and don't if, if you're doing something because everybody else is doing it, you're probably doing shit for the wrong reasons. But that's what we expect out of politicians. And I, when I say we, I mean most people expect mm -hmm. like people are pissed off that a couple of Republicans are going to mm -hmm. vote for Kentonji Brown Jackson. I, I'm not thrilled about, I'm not a Republican. I don't give a fuck about Republicans and Democrats, but I'm not thrilled that people who consider themselves conservatives are going to vote for this person that's very lenient on pedophiles. I don't like that. And I also don't like that they're, instead of using it, <clears throat> the uh, everybody does it as an excuse, that should be an indictment of the entire criminal justice system, not an excuse for this woman. Uh, that, that makes me angry. Uh, that people aren't, I guess from my perspective, it's that people aren't just being decent human beings that are responsible to their communities. But well, the, well, vast, she, the vast majority of people, if like when uh, let's take Democrats and Joe Manchin, for example, they expect him because there's a D at the end of his name to vote for whatever Biden puts up. And he said no. And he has been demonized by the left for that. And it happens in both directions as well. We just expect people to toe the line like you. We elected you as a Democrat. So do Democrat shit. Now, what the fuck does that mean? You know what I mean? Right. And, 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 you know, I think is, you know, you, you have to do the will of the people, right? I mean, if you are a Democrat and your district and the people that put you in place is saying, hey, we want you to vote this way. You, it doesn't matter what you think. You should vote the way that the people are telling you to vote. I mean, you do have some discretion there because mm -hmm. not everybody voted for you, you know, right. when you get elected. But you need to look at, OK, what are my people saying and what's best for our country based on the reasons why you put me in this position? But I, I, like you said, I think these people... They they don't care nothing about you. They up in the they up in the in the Senate and Congress and they don't care about you. These people, they are on their high horse. Their chest is high. I'm going to go up there and change the world. And I forgot every reason why you, you told me to be there. Your interests aren't my interests anymore. And it's hard to get them out because people aren't active. People don't vote. You know, most people complain. They don't even vote. You know, even even uh, the, what's that fool name? The sorry quarterback, Colin Kaepernick. Mm. He even admitted he don't vote. What are you doing, brother? You don't even vote locally, federally. What are you even talking about? What, what, what's, what's the point of you talking if you're not actively trying to make a difference? Uh, so th these people are, you know, Katanji Brown, she, they messed up when they said we're going to put up a black woman. Yeah. And she has <laughs> to be black. So we're going to discriminate against every other race. There mm. could be an Indian woman that's the best. There could be an Asian woman that's the best. A white woman. A native woman. There could be so many women that could be qualified, but you say you have to be black. Yeah, that's like saying you have to be white. That in and of itself, nobody should vote for. I mean, well, I know there's nuance to it, but I would say I'm not in a, involving myself in something like this because <laughs> you guys started with the wrong spirit. I don't even know if she's the best qualified. You're just putting a woman here because she's black. Yeah, and the crazy thing with our country and how stupid half of the people are is that. Oh, this is a great opportunity for a black woman to be selected. Obama picked two women that weren't black when he was in office. His, his four year, I mean, his two terms, 
he picked two Supreme Court justices. They were women and neither one of them were black. Mm. So if it was such a big deal, the first black president should have picked a black woman. Yeah. And he could have he could have picked both of them could have been black women. I mean, we would have had three black people in the Supreme Court. The last guy I nominated was Merrick Garland, who is uh, definitely not black and definitely not a woman. <laughs> As right, a matter of right. fact, he's the attorney general now and he's super white uh, and right. also a man. Yeah, it's weird. That, that whole... That whole thing is weird. People that uh, that want power very rarely deserve it, and those who deserve it very rarely want it, and that's a problem, right? right? I mean, it's <clears throat> it's a it's a problem with leadership in general, and it's it's spanned all of human history. A lot of the best leaders are, are called to action rather than you know uh, uh, seek it out in, in that way. Yeah. And it, the problem now is there's so much profit motive, like Stacey Abrams went from a net worth of 180000 a year and a half ago when she lost her election to now $3.2 million, right? Yeah. Why? Yeah. Like, how is yeah. that even fucking possible? Yeah. 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 I know how it's possible. Yeah. I've been around, I've been around the block a few times, and I can see how I just, I just have integrity, but I can see how people are like, oh, man, I'm popular or whatever. I can run for office and it's a come up for me. Yeah. You know, we had a we had a, one of these fake politicians in California sue my wife not too long ago, Major Williams. And this guy is literally the epitome of running for office to to create a lifestyle. This fool made no money. He runs for office and now he makes he makes making a lot of money. He has no chance of winning, but he is is he get to use the campaign money to fund his lifestyle. Right. Because they can pay themselves to campaign. And then with every year the dudes is campaigning, have no chance of winning. And sued my wife for defamation because she called him out on it. Yeah. Of course, he lost. And he oh, now he owes us $10,000 for our lawyer fees. But, you know, these people are like, I, I listen, I've learned this, man. Like, I was just a cop working for nonprofits now and listening to politicians and seeing how they yeah. work. I, I see how churches are fraudulent now. Mm. And I see how politicians are fraudulent, um, like many of them. Because it's just a come up, man. Mm. I see churches operating just like I see nonprofits. And that should not be the same. You know, nonprofits, they have to raise money. And, and I go to churches now and I say, you're doing a fundraiser. This is what you're, you, you're fundraising. Yeah. You're tithes and offering. That's just, a, that's just a, 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 some words that you say. Yeah. You are fundraising. You have a pastor come. You have to pay him because I get paid to speak. So you say, well, how, mu how much are you paying this pastor to come? And now he's coming to fundraise for his own money. You, you guys are, or you, or you create this facility and you, Come be as you pay 10% of your income and the pastors having private jets. You're like, this is just a pastor. This is what Susan G. Coleman does. This is yeah. they have these organizations where they only use 2% of the income that they make or the donations that yeah. they get for the actual cost. Well, that's all you know, that's all that's required by law federally. Right. Only two percent. Yeah, that's wild, isn't it? Like, like it, what do we what do we donate to? You say you're gonna have a breast cancer, like all of this is going to the CEO and yeah. and, and, and advertising to raise more money to go to the CEO and yeah. advertising. Like we, we yeah, supposed to be doing this for breast cancer. Uh, or, I mean, like BLM is is it's uh, now it's now three times they've been popped uh, in the last year, right? So the first one was uh, that lady that was buying properties up in Canada, I think in Toronto or some shit. The second yeah, one, yeah, the, one of the co-founders, yeah, one of the co-founders, yeah. The second one was uh, just the sixty million dollars that's evaporated, right? That they raised, right. and then uh, now we hear this week that they they're buying properties in Southern California, right? Yeah, so like, it's it's kind of like a uh, I don't know which I got to do my research on which is true, but Patrice Cullors had over a million dollar portfolio that she had personally, mm. but now I think they discovered that Patrice Cullors, who she resigned the last year, that she had. 
used BLM money to buy $6 million of mansions and property in a portfolio on BLM money. The first one was her money. And then now it's $6 million of BLM money. And they don't know where the $60 million is at. Because I guarantee you they're not reporting it properly because they're using it for other stuff. And they give no money to George Floyd's family. They gave no money to Michael Brown's family. His family is trying to sue BLM. Uh, Breonna Taylor's family, all of these people that have died, Eric Garner, Mm. they have given no money. They could at least give money to the GoFundMe. They've given no money. Yeah, what wild. are they actually I've, doing? I have no idea. And since we're talking about it, let's get into this because uh, the over the past couple of years, the relationship between citizens and police has deteriorated quite a bit. Uh, yeah. uh, a lot of it is based on a lot this propaganda that's that's come from the left um, <clears throat> about. You know, cops, regardless of race, are racist. Like, you could be a b- black cop that hates black people, apparently, I guess, and yeah. uh, they're out there looking for black people to murder. And it turns out yeah. there's like eight black dudes a year or so get yeah. unarmed black dudes get shot by police. And usually it's in some kind of like mental health situation. It's not just yeah. some dude standing there like, oh, black dude, boom. That's not yeah. really how it works, right? So they push this absolute nonsense in the media that it was dangerous. And, you know, to be honest, because of the, uh, because of the largely sealed off communities that we discussed before in the, in the black community, a lot of that stuff bounced around and became institutional knowledge, even though it's not true. Right. So like it's, it's the same thing with dogs, right? Because of the, because of your grandparents, uh, 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 how dogs were perceived by black people back then when they were kids or, or maybe uh, young adults and how they were used by the fucking state to attack black people and stuff like that. There is, People think this is like some kind of weird trope. It's not. Like there, there are there are large swaths of the black community that are literally afraid of dogs because of that, because they've been taught their entire lives that dogs are dangerous. Yeah. It's, and it's that's how yeah, powerful that is. Like you can look at a little yeah. terrier and be like, uh uh-uh, uh, fuck that. You know what I mean? You yeah. could stomp that dog out anytime you wanted to, but it's still it's like so deeply rooted. And that's how that's the power of propaganda. And it's what we've been dealing yeah. with for the last two or three years, maybe even longer than that. Yeah, we just we it's, it's like we've been boiling in the water, and now we we feel yeah. it. Now we yeah. like, oh, it's just too hot up in here. Yeah. But we've been they've been boiling us for a long time. You know, they've been pushing propaganda for a long time. Rodney King was propaganda, in my opinion. They used him <clears throat> as propaganda. Um, a lot of things that Martin Luther King stood for, they used it as they used it as propaganda, mm. and they 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 continue to push this narrative that's not even true. You know, that's not necessarily. I mean, true the data it. shows that it's not fucking true. It's not like yeah. I've yeah. got a different opinion than somebody else. Yeah or whatever. And maybe if like you experienced it personally, then obviously it's going to stand out more to you, but the data does not match what these motherfuckers have said. It's just not in, true. In no way. There's yeah. no data that matches that black people are disproportionately um, targeted by police. There's no data that matches that black people are unjustifiably being shot and targeted for no reason. Mm. These unarmed black people, I think they averaged about 12 to 14 a year unarmed, mm. but you got to think it's 40 million black people in the country. I mean, that's the very small uh, population of black people and black people commit a uh, uh, disproportionate amount of crimes. I mean, half of all the murders that occur in this country are perpetuated by black people in this country. And, and over half of all of the murder suspects, I mean, victims are black. So, you know, black people are have an influx and in disproportionality in committing crimes. Although Washington Post came out with an article on it that it's not a disproportionate police interaction. When you look at disproportionality of crime committed by black people, it's actually police are less 
likely to target them based on their criminal behavior than white people. You look at it, white people get shot on twice as much as black people do every right. year. Three t- twice as m- many white people get shot by police in general. Mm. And people say, well, it's more white people. Well, no, you can't look at that as the population because cops don't deal with the entire population. Right. They only deal with the criminal element. Yeah. And so if you, you take in the criminal element, you say disproportionately, black people are commit more crimes mm. and the police response is not the same. So, you know, it's not that simple. And, and all of the black people I've seen get, got killed, first of all, could have been 100% avoided if they wouldn't have done what they did. Mm. And then the other percentages, it was justified. Right. You know, um, Eric Garner, Michael Brown. I mean, all these all these situations where if you just don't resist arrest, brother, you don't end up even even Michael. I mean, uh, what's his name? George Floyd. I mean, George Floyd, of course, Chauvin, I think, was a dirtbag. But mm. but uh, Michael, Michael, uh, George Floyd. I mean, Derek Chauvin was a dirtbag. Michael, uh, I call Michael Floyd. George, George Floyd. Floyd. Yeah. Yeah. He was a dirtbag, too. Derek Chauvin. I think get their names mixed up. Yeah. yeah. But um. So both of them were dirtbags. Yeah. In my book, I, I wrote that the tale of two dummies or something I said, <laughs> you know, because they're both stupid. When they both meet, then you have calamity, you yeah. know, but um, George Floyd had no business trying to buy stuff with fake money. He and he ingested a lethal amount of fentanyl and, and methamphetamine. He resisted arrest, kicked himself out of the car, ended up on the ground, refused to get up off the ground. And then Chauvin had enough of him and decided to kneel until he died. So. Yeah. Um, but but it's all could be avoided. Just don't buy fake buy stuff with fake money. And if you do, when the cops get there, just comply to what they're saying and deal with it later. You'll be alive. Michael Brown will be alive. Eric Gardner will be alive. Uh, I mean, I can go down a list. Even the unjustified ones, like um, uh, it's unjustified when I did I did a video on. I can't think of his name now. It'll come back to me. He was shot twelve times mm. and died before he hit the ground. And he was he didn't readily present himself as a deadly threat. Mm. Um, I forget. I can't know. I can't think of his name, but he, you know, even in his death, even though it was unjustified, he shouldn't have been on PCP running around with a knife in his hand, you know, mm-hmm. threatening people and, 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 you know, getting the cops all riled up and he would have never been in that position. So it's avoidable. A black man don't have to be afraid of the police. I ain't never, I haven't been, I haven't even been pulled over in and I, I, I'm in Arizona. It ain't nothing but white people out here in Mexicans. Yeah, black yeah, people yeah. make up 5% of the population. So mm. if there's racism to be had, when you see a black man driving a nice car, mm. I should be pulled over 100 times. I haven't been pulled over since 2016. Mm. And before that, it was 2010. And, you know, I cannot confirm or deny if I go over the speed limit every time I drive. So <laughs> I commit crimes on a daily basis. I'm <laughs> yeah. not going to stop. Uh, I, I think a lot of... Uh, conservatives are also kind of rethinking how they feel about police over the last two years now, because um, a lot of police officers, uh, not just here in America, Canada, Australia, uh, but predominantly Chicago and New York. And uh, uh, to some degree in Los Angeles, but luckily Sheriff Villanueva out there is a badass and they told him to fuck off all that stuff. But I, I mean, these cops pulling children out of restaurants because they're not fucking vaccinated and shit like that. Over the past couple of years like that, when when police officers become a, a tool of the state to control it, like the 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 cop is not meant <clears throat> to keep the state secure it's to keep the community secure. Right. The military keeps the state secure and you cannot mix the two. So when. When police officers are. 
violently enforcing regulation, not law, but regulation on behalf of the state, I think people lose a lot of faith in them. And I think rightly so, to be honest. I mean, that, that, yeah. like the way the police conduct it, there's 275 million interactions between police and, and citizens every single year. And the vast majority of them are, are benign as benign. And when I say vast majority, I mean like 99.797%, something like that, uh, are end without any kind of incident. But when, when police officers are doing that shit, then I, that's where I draw the line. I'm no longer backing that blue, like that individual person. Because you got to make a choice. Like in the military, we had a choice <coughs> to say no if an order is unlawful, right? Now, what does that mean necessarily is a conversation to be had. But dragging kids out of fucking places because they don't have a vaccine passport, that seems a little unlawful to me. You know what I mean? Yeah, so I'll I'll push back just a little bit on on, on this concept because I agree with you a thousand percent that if cops are acting on behalf of the state, um, you know, to perpetuate mandates that are unjustified, unconstitutional, I I, I think that they should. That's that's not right. That's not what you sign up to do. But I do think that they pushed a little propaganda to get us to hate our own police because, like, I remember the scenario in New York City where they had this headline that says cops arrest eight-year-old boy or something in the pizza parlor, right? Mm. It was, and so I said, let me, that's too juicy. And my whole concept, if it sounds too juicy, then I'm a, I need to do more research. Yeah. I went and looked it up and I talked to some police officers there and it, there's a conflation of police interaction, right? And they show these little clips and they go, look at the police are throwing this kid out of here and look at what they're doing. When you go look at the totality of circumstances, you say, well, that not that's not what happened. The police had no I, they had no association with the kid. He just so happened to be standing in front of him and walking past him. Um, the problem was, you know, these businesses have rights and they have a, the authority to say we don't have to serve you if you are doing X, Y, Z. Police are not involved in reasoning. They're involved in trespassing. And so it, they kind of get caught in the middle of this because that piece of parlor says you have to be vaccinated or show proof of vaccination before you come in here. Mm -hmm. They have a right to do that as a, as a, as an institution, as a private business. And people have a right to say, I'm not going to do it. And I'm just going to go in here anyway. And then you go, and then it's against the law and you can get arrested. Right. But what they do is they come, they conflate that with police. Police aren't there to enforce mask mandates. They're not there to enforce uh, vaccines. They're there because the business said you need to leave and you're refusing to leave. And so cops have to show up and say, it is the law. They have a right to ask you to leave for whatever reason that they're, right. they're saying <clears throat> that's outside of discrimination and other things like that. If you got a problem with the way this business is operating, you can sue them or whatever the case may be. Mm -hmm. But you have to leave because they ask you to leave and we're impartially enforcing the law. Now, if you see a cop, you know, for instance, a cop can't arrest you for not wearing a mask. That's not that no cop in America can do that because mm -hmm. it's not a law. They can't arrest you for not having a vaccine passport or whatever, because it's not a law. If they take you before the magistrate and they say, I arrested this person for not having a vaccine and being in a mm -hmm. public area, the, the judge is going to look and say, that's not a law that's on a book. It's dismissed. Mm -hmm. You can only enforce laws that are on the book. And, and I just think it gets conflated to a certain degree because they point the cops out as the ones doing it. I made another video and I'll, and I'll shut up about this. Mm -hmm. I made another video there was these people that went into a museum and they go, and, and you see a little girl in handcuffs. 
or you know, she wasn't in handcuffs. She was actually getting escorted to the yeah. police car. And they go, they arrested a girl for for not having a vaccine in a in a in a uh, in a museum. That's wrong. They should have had that nine year old. And they talking trash. They throwing stuff at the cops. They doing all this stuff. Come to find out, it had actually had nothing to do with the vaccine or mask because they went into the museum and the people in the museum had a policy, but they didn't enforce it. They said, we're not going to argue with you guys. Mm. So they protested in the museum to it closed. And after it closed, they refused to leave. And so the police showed up and said, I mean, it was an hour after closing. And the police showed up and said, look, you can't be here. It has nothing to do with mass minute. So they arrested the adults and you can't take adults and children together. So they arrested the adults. Mm. They put the young girl in the back of the police car because you can't put it in the front and you don't. And they didn't have handcuffs on it. Right. So escort her to the substation to be with her parents once they booked them and released them. Mm. That's all they did. But they put this idea out there that cops are doing this now. In other countries, I can't vouch for them at all because I think they are acting on behalf of the state. But in the United States of America, more than likely, it's that cops are now being leveraged in the middle of something. That- yeah, but that's that comes with the territory, right? You sign up for that job and you take on a moral responsibility to your community, not to your state. And I think when- uh, whether it whether it's uh, a matter of uh, you know it it becoming trespassing, which is uh, technically that is correct. Uh, I'm not going to disagree with you there. But at some point, like police leadership, the unions or captains or somebody needs to go to the press and say, hey, this is wrong. Forcing people out of businesses because they don't obey your fucking stupid yeah. rules is wrong. That's that is a moral imperative for people that signed up to do this job. And when they're not doing well, it, that's a failure to me. It's not about the physical act of removing somebody from trespassing. It's, a, it's that you being a moral authority and a middle ground between the state in the community and, and refusing to do anything about it. And the only, there's a couple of sheriffs nationwide and, a, and, a, and quite a few actually of you former police officers that, that spoke up quite a bit about it, but nobody in actual positions of authority did a goddamn thing. Yeah. And I, I agree with you. I think that, you know, I think that, you know, you got to think too, sheriffs and municipal police are two different things. Oh, big time. Yeah. You, you can't know, so fire sheriff. a sheriff. Yeah. Well, you, yeah, you can't fire him. He's yeah. elected. So, you know, he can say whatever he want to say, the, the, you know, the uh, municipal police are literally under the sack of the city mm. council. You yep. say anything, they fire you. And they put a person there that's going to say what they want them to say. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't excuse the fact that I think that when you have an opportunity in a press conference, you could say that we are enforcing trespassing, but we're not going to enforce, we're not going to waste our time yeah. with your <clears throat> issues on whether or not a person is wearing a mask in, in a hypocritical manner. Like, if they sit down, it's fine, but if they stand up, it's not. You know, so, but but I do think that we have to be careful too of picking a side because police are supposed to be impartial to a certain degree, right? They're, they're impartial. They enforce the law. There are people that want vaccination uh, mandates mm. that vote for them, that want them, that believe that this is going to, you know, this is what's right. <laughs> and, and the problem is, is that we don't, I think it's all bull crap. But you have a we have a, a section of our population that don't think it's bullcrap. We have a section of our population that think it's pointless to wear a mask. If I fart and you can smell it, you're getting COVID. You know yeah. what I'm saying? So, but we have a population of people that are listening to the science, and you have all these scientists that are coming out and saying this is a state of emergency. You have mayors who are acquiescing to the government and scientists who are saying we you know we can't even trust our government. These scientists are saying that you're supposed to wear a mask. We should be able to trust the government to give insight and the mayors and governors to 
enforce something that's a national or, or that's a state of emergency. We should be able to trust them. The difference in this situation is that we know it's bullcrap mm. and we can't trust them to make the decision because they're c- completely lying. Then you have the other side of it to say that, no, they are telling the truth and this is right. What is what we should do as society? I tell a person if this is Ebola and Ebola was, you know, Ebola is deadly. 16%. Death rate. That it's quite a bit different than fucking right, COVID, but, which is. But point you get what one. I'm saying. You yeah, get yeah. what I'm saying. Like yeah, yeah. if this was Ebola, and like you need government. you need that infrastructure to exist. In in the case of real danger, right? Yeah, for sure. I agree with that. But right, does. but they abused it this time. Yeah. I think and some people don't think they abused it. Oh like, no, they. Did. This is the biggest case of crying wolf in the history of human beings, in my opinion. Oh, I, I, and yeah, there's going to be I'll, like dire consequences at some point because when something is an actual emergency, nobody's going to fucking listen at this point. Yeah, because this wasn't this wasn't what it was. You get what I'm saying? And I think that's where the conflict come with police because the state is saying, and this is what we voted for them, we gave them rights to have the power to enforce state of emergencies. Um, And the state is saying, we have to vaccinate. We have to have Mm -hmm. vaccinate evidence. You have to have masks. And they're enforcing this. And then the cops are in the middle saying, what do I do if this, because some of these cops may actually believe that it's real. And some of them think it's bullcrap. Well, I mean, if a cop, if in my in my estimation, if a cop believes that they have the right uh, to force vaccinate people or restrict their movement, then I think that cop needs to fucking find a new line of work. Frankly, uh, that, well, yeah, that, it, that that's it's, completely undemocratic, and and it's not. Uh, we, we we do liberty here. That's what America does. You know. Yeah, and you uh, should fire. They should go to. This is how it should work. The person should go to jail who who imposed the law mm. that's unconstitutional. Yeah. And then everybody that upheld the unconstitutional law, whatever you want to call it. I'm not saying something that's founded in the court. I'm talking about already established law, mm. violating somebody's Fourth Amendment rights and different things like that. That's already in, in, in as a law. Right. You cannot do that. I'm not talking about something that they have to go to court and deliberate. Yeah. In the future, we'll find you, you do that. You have to pay a consequence. When I was a cop, we swore to uphold the Constitution. Against and, against who though? All no, en- saying, we, we, all we enemies, ag- all enemies, foreign and domestic, right? And that's my problem with this line of reasoning. That co- I, like I understand that cops are stuck in a tough position, but it's a tough job, and you signed up for it. A rule or regulation or law or whatever it is only exists if there are people there to enforce it, right? And when people uh, who are reasonable people who are in those positions of enforcement say no, and they should have said no, then it all goes away. Like if yeah, the, the, so. the airlines writing this open letter to Biden, tell him to knock it off with the mask shit, that'll be the end of it on the 19th or 18th or whatever. That'll be the end. Of it. We'll never see mask on planes again, probably because yeah. capitalism wins ultimately, usually in these situations. But uh, th- this I expected a lot more. Uh, maybe it was because cops are so demoralized after getting shit on for so long. Uh, that's a possibility. And some people just want to keep their jobs. I get that, too, I guess, to some degree. But. Uh, I, there's, I, I would not do something that I found morally reprehensible to keep my job ever. Yeah. It just depends. You know, I, I agree with you. I agree with you. And it, it just really depends. You know, I thought that arresting people for marijuana possession was, was ridiculous, you know, but it's not my job to have my emotions involved in it. You know what I'm saying? Like I have to say, according to the law, this is the law that you violate the law or not. If I have discretion, I can't use discretion. But if I don't, I have to enforce the law. I, I felt like that marijuana, like, I, I feel like it's not as big of a deal as some of these other drugs that are out mm. there. We should have been using our resources <laughs> other places, but it's not my job 
to get to be political when it's coming to enforcing law. You know, when you have domestic violence and you go, I think both of y'all should go to jail. Yeah. But technically, you know, you did not break the law. She did. Mm -hmm. So now she got to go to jail. Yeah. But in my mind, I'm like, I want to whoop your and take both of y'all to jail. Yeah. You know, people that beat up kids and do stuff to children. It's like, no, I want to take you out back and give you some justice. Mm -hmm. But I have to be impartial and say, OK, what is the law? I'm only enforcing what's on the books. Anything outside of the books is not my demand. Hopefully, as a private citizen, I can vote to get some of these things changed. Um, I can pursue telling the mayor, the governor uh, to some degree in my personal life. But as a police officer, I have to be impartial whether I agree with these things or not. The only thing is, is that if it's a constitutional violation, you, you, you don't have a choice in that either. You can't violate people's constitutional rights. And if you do, you're held accountable, you know. Well, I mean, we just did violate people's constitutional rights as a matter of institution for the last two years, though, right? Like, dem yeah, kind of, sort of. I don't think is de demanding I to see somebody's, um, like, to get somebody's medical information to allow them entry into a place or to travel. That is a clear violation well, of search and seizure. It, well, there's no well, question about that. Well, no, technically, well, see, this is where they have to deliberate in court mm. and then they have to make a judgment on it because. According to information that I read and I did a live stream on it, which I could deny it, that when it comes to institutions asking for medical, uh, like um, uh, whether or not you've been vaccinated mm. in an emergency state of emergency, it's it's legal to do that. If and outside of a state of emergency is not legal to do that. And so it's not a HIPAA violation either. For oh, them no, to it's not. It's never been a HIPAA violation. That's right. Right. Some people yeah. some people said that. No. But. But also in a state of an emergency, according to the law, they can implement things like that in a state of emergency outside of a right. state of emergency. They cannot do it. So they were able to get away with it technically, according to the law, because they declared a state of emergency. Now, after all of this is evaluated and we go to the higher courts and determine that it is, in fact, a violation of constitutional rights, um, be, even in, in a state of emergency, then I think that we would have some ground there. Unfortunately, it's not established law. Mm. It's not established as a violation. We just, I just feel like it's a violation. I mean, you, you feel like it's a violation. Most people feel like you shouldn't, you can't make me because what happens is they play it in a circle. Mm. Them asking you to take it at the restaurant. Isn't just that it's that you may be co coerced to get vaccinated be, to come, come there. You know, yeah. when they ask you, you got to be vaccinated to travel. You may be they use that as coercion to get vaccinated so you can travel to see your family. Yeah, there are, so, can, there are people in Canada right now that are literally stuck in Canada. They're not allowed to leave because they don't have a vaccination. They can't cross a land border because they're not oh, vaccinated. Yeah. That that is that seems like fucking not a good, not a good thing. Right. When you're sure people's I, moving stuff. Yeah, I think that that should be considered a violation. It's just that these politicians have done it under the guise of an emergency order that I think was coerced and, and manipulated by yeah, Fauci and all these other people. Yeah. So we need to figure out how do we change so this will never happen again? And how do we manage it in case it's really something? You well, know yeah, like I mean, a, I, the first part is I think I don't I don't think that municipal police stations should exist in the first place. I think uh, police should be uh, leaders should be elected and it shouldn't be politicians. Right. Like if you want a sheriff, let's have a sheriff and they have sheriff power. But I don't see the point of having uh, a police officer that in, that is an expert in policing, is an expert in security and investigations and shit like that, taking orders from some, uh, you know, knucklehead that won a popularity contest. That doesn't make any sense to me.
Yeah, I, mean? I think it, it all ultimately what that allows is for people to weaponize police against the community, and that is completely uh, not. That's not a good thing. It's really yeah, not. I agree with you, but I will go a step further and <clears> say even sheriffs, deputies can be influenced because it's an election. Mm-hmm. Like we had a guy here, Pinzone, here in Phoenix. Yeah, I know. The guy, <laughs> the guy to me is more political than he is as a as a as a sheriff. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you didn't like uh, the one before him, I forget his name. And I love him. I forget his name. Uh, Arpaio. Arpaio. Yeah. I mean, just imagine if you didn't like Arpaio and you thought Arpaio was violating people's constitutional rights Mm. or whatever. You know, I thought Arpaio did what he's supposed to do. But if you didn't like Arpaio, that's a nightmare to you. Yeah. He's elected for 20 something years and he's enforcing his conservative ideas and him putting Tent City up, which I think was a great idea. But some people don't like that. So you can get caught in the middle because if you get a liberal sheriff to come in and want LGBTQ and you can get effed on that one as well. So it's just a battle. That's the beauty of constitutional Republic. man. Mm. it's like, you got to get the best people in and the system works. If you get crooked, corrupt people in there, uh, the system, the very system that is built to make us successful will be our downfall. Yeah, for sure. If you get a sheriff in there, that's Sheriff Lamb here in, uh, yeah, in, Mark in Arizona. Yeah. Yeah, Mark Lamb. I love him, man. Mm-hmm. All these other, like, there's a lot of sheriffs around the country. The one you'd say to California. Feeling the way, but yeah, a, good guy. You get a good one in there. They say, no, I'm not. We're not. We're not going to arrest people for masks. Mm-hmm. We are not going to. We're not going to enforce that. Um, but you get a bad one in there. We're going to allow sanctuary cities for illegals yeah. to be. You, you get what I'm saying? Yeah. We, we're going to let prostitution be legal. We're not going to mm-hmm. arrest anybody for drug dealing and because they're black. You know, yeah. like you can really, it can really get dicey. Yeah. But I do think that to your point of municipal police, I think that there should be a separation Mm. of leadership and authority in municipal police. Police should not be under city council. No, in some States, some cities police actually are the head of, of of their uh, decision-making that's rare, but in some, in some cities, this, their case, the city council is separate, the city manager. And then the police chief Mm. is kind of like a sheriff. It's his own position. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's like a CEO of a company and a president of the company. They do two different things. Right. right? Exactly. Uh, it's, they, that's why I like having these conversations because uh, it seems to me like just the, I, I have a lot of conversations with people from all sides of the aisle about these issues. And yeah. it seems like very few people are happy with the status quo. Right. Yeah. Uh, uh, from either direction, whether it's it's, uh, you know, the stupid defund bullshit which backfired and uh, yep. like uh, that's 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 that was so dumb anyways we we've talked ad nauseum about that shit uh <laughs> but so you you touch on a lot of that stuff in your new book uh beating black and blue tell us about that yeah so i, I wrote a book um about things that i felt like the society wasn't getting you know attention to because a lot of police officers that are in it right now they can't write books they can't it's hard for them to be political because mm-hmm. then they get blackballed yeah. Somebody like myself that's fresh out the police department to a certain degree, you know, in 2017. But um, I could talk. I could say everything that all the police officers I know want to say. And I could write in a book with no punitive uh, repercussions. So that's what I did. You know, I, I, I spoke about the lies and the myths of unjustified police shootings. And I, sp- I speak about justified police shootings. And I, um, I talk about, you know, a myriad of different things. I interview five police officers. Um, to give their perspective in the book. So it's not just me. It's me plus uh, five police officers from around the country mm. um, who are giving their perspectives on what it's like to be a cop in today's society. 
a little bit of my background in the book, but the most proudest, um, my most proudest part of the book is at the very end where we give solutions to the problems. And not only do I give solutions, all the police officers that were currently in the book or that were in the book uh, gave solutions as well. Uh, the cop that was responsible for me becoming a cop, mm. I interviewed him, Sean Payne, who I did a ride along with in Tucson. He was in the book as well. And that, and that was that was a really great moment uh, at my book lunch party. We, we both kind of teared up because he really inspired me to be a cop and, and led me to where I'm at today. And he's a tremendous police officer, man. He a go getter. He's nice to people. He he helped people after he arrest them. Like he's the he's the cop's cop, man, in my <clears> opinion. Um, dude's a great dude. So in the book, I, I explain all those things and I tell some cool stories about uh, policing, some interesting stories of me saving people's lives. And it's very short, man. It was only 144 pages. We tried to get it out and I think I need to make a sequel to it. Yeah. I mean, uh, there's, uh, uh, man, I can't remember the guy's name, Kevin, something, uh, the cop in San Francisco who stopped like 400 people from jumping off the golden gate bridge or some shit. Oh, wow. Yeah. I, heard uh, I can't remember. We've had him on the show before. I can't remember his last name, oh, wow. uh, but he's, yeah, it, that I, of all the things that I hear from, I don't pay a whole lot of attention to the noise from the far uh, corners of politics. Kevin Briggs, that's his name. Um, <clears throat> I don't pay a whole lot of attention to that stuff, but I do listen to actual cops and actual human beings that live in communities that are policed uh, heavily. And I think everybody's aching for uh, a positive relationship between police and citizens again. Right. Like uh, they did this study in Oakland, 83 percent of people wanted the same amount or more police in their neighborhoods. Uh, And they certainly didn't want them. uh, They didn't want less of them and they didn't want them less trained for sure. Right. Because that's fucking stupid. Um, The the days of the beat cop knowing all the fucking grandmas in the neighborhood, that's that shit's got to come back. You know, that community policing element's got to come back in some way. And that, and that's where municipal police come in too, because they can be more intimate than sheriff. Mm-hmm. You know who's who has all this 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 uh, unincorporated area. Yeah. I mean, the sheriff department that'd be just too much for them to do all of that. So these these municipal police, like for instance, I stay in a small town uh, here in, in Arizona, right outside of Scottsdale, and you know there ain't nothing going on over here. You know, yeah. I'm in a very nice neighborhood, and the cops. I never see them, but then when I do see them, they know me mm. and they come down the street. And if I call them, they're going to be here in less than a minute. Mm. So um, having that intimacy is good. But I do think that what we have to do is stop celebrating criminals. Like we all need to be honest with ourselves because they've been able to make it about race. So yeah. if a white cop is like, I want to arrest that kid, he's been terrorizing the community. It's like, well, hold on, hold on. we could talk about him being a, a thug, but you can't talk about him being the right. Yeah. Because then you're talking about our people. You know, so we well, my, my people, my people aren't white people. My people are fucking good people. You know right, what I mean? Right. Like exactly. it, it's we I, all this uh, talk about diversity, diversity, the, the, the main, the only diversity that really matters is diversity of thought. Right. Yeah. Like people who bring different things to the table so <laughs> we can collectively find the best goddamn solutions to these problems we have. Like we have existential problems, how to feed people, keep them warm, deal with disease, deal with uh, lunatics. These are existential yeah. problems. It's, if you're a doctor, uh, let, let's say this. If you're a doctor and you're prescribing people essential oils, then you're not a very good doctor. And that's essentially what all these social Marxist assholes are doing these days. It's like, oh, it must be racism. It must be this. No, it's fucking it's, – it, what it is is class warfare. It's patricians, like rich uh, people against everybody else, like it has been. Yeah. For yeah. the entirety of human civilization. Anyways. Yeah. Uh, so 100%. yeah, I, I, I'm going to, uh, 
I'm going to read more of the book. I've only read the first couple of chapters, but it's, it's, uh, it's, it's actually a pretty quick read. If you're out there, you're looking for something to read. Well, I say read. It's, I listen to the audio books. I don't read shit. Um, <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, the, uh, uh, go check it out. It's uh, Beaten Black and uh, Blue, Being a Black Cop in America Under Siege. Uh, it's on Amazon, hardcover, uh, Kindle, and audio book uh, on Audible. And uh, thanks for coming out today, man. We appreciate it. Yeah, and they can get the signed copy on my website, uh, mm. the Officer Tatum store. If they want the signed copy, we still have a few of those available. What's that website uh, again? Uh, the Officer Tatum store.com okay. the officer tatum store.com so it, all you gotta do is look up beating black and blue you'll find the websites i, I bought the domains cool. and stuff so yeah if you want the sign copy we, we have them available for you and th- thank you so much for having me man great conversation yeah. it's, it's good to talk to somebody who is level-headed and even though we may disagree on a few things you know we still are pursuing the same mission and, and i know mm-hmm. for a fact if we were, were had to be in a, in a in a room with just me and you and and a, and a bunch of people trying to to kill us i know you'll have my back and we'll fight mm-hmm. to the death man yep. so um I, I really appreciate you and thank you for having me on yeah man thanks for coming we appreciate it uh until next time we'll see you guys in hell Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.